Hey, good morning, Grant. It's Pastor Rob. Have you ever heard of the Lozman Trophy? The Lozman Trophy. And no, it's not a trophy you get for hanging out at Lowe's and spending a lot of money. <laughs> or because there would be a whole lot of us that would be in the running for this trophy, but that's not what it is. The Lozman Trophy is actually given out every year to the final pick in the NFL draft the final person at the end of the seventh round. It's kind of trying to, the name is to make fun of the Heisman Trophy, which is given in theory to the, to the, the best college player, the most outstanding college player each year. But, but in the NFL, if you're the last one picked, you actually, they have a name for that person too. They call them Mr. Irrelevant. Mr. Irrelevant gets the, gets the Lozman Trophy. Isn't that horrible? It's this idea that, you know, it's kind of an attaboy. It's you've you've done your best. We appreciate the effort. Thanks for playing. <laughs> but your skills and abilities are only going to get you so far. Great job. Go do something else now, right? You're not likely to be of value on a football field moving forward. I think sometimes, sometimes I think we, in comparing ourselves to other Christians, other followers of God, we say to ourselves, I'm more likely to get the Lozman Trophy than the Heisman Trophy. If Jesus were drafting disciples, drafting people who were going to follow him, I feel like I'm probably down near the bottom. Maybe you feel like, I, I, can't, I can't speak. I don't have the ability to speak publicly in front of others. The words just don't flow, and I, I don't know what I would say or what I would do. By the way, the words don't always flow. If you've heard me talk, <laughs> you, do, you do not have to be that good. So let's just keep that in mind. But we convince ourselves, I can't speak. I don't know how relevant or how valuable I can be in the kingdom of God. Maybe we say, I, I, don't, have, I don't have this, this crazy witness story of regeneration. I kind of, I grew up in the church and, or I grew up in a good family and I just came to know the Lord one day and he didn't pull me out of this massive darkness. So I, I don't know how much of a difference I can make in the kingdom of God without that kind of story. I know that I have felt that way. I don't have what it takes maybe to represent Jesus well. I, I, I'm too messed up. I keep making mistakes. I'm far from perfect. Jesus, I'm sure, is drafting. He's picking the best disciples in the first rounds, and I'm just lucky to be tagging on at the end. And honestly, I don't expect to contribute much to the kingdom of God. It's unlikely that I'm going to be the disciple that Jesus wants me to be or that I see others being. I'm lower in the draft order. And comparing ourselves to other human beings that way is, is kind of part and parcel what it means to be human, right? We, we, we all do it on some levels in some ways. The thing is, in, in the kingdom of God, as Jesus calls his disciples, there is no draft. There is no Mr. Irrelevant. There is no Lozman Trophy. There is no attaboy. Your abilities are only going to get you so far. Being relevant in the kingdom of God, 
being a disciple of Jesus requires only one thing. It requires a willingness to go where the coach puts you. A willingness to do what he's calling you to do in that time and in that place and with whatever skills and abilities you think you have, which by the way is usually an undersell compared to what Jesus can do with them, and trusting that he will get you where you need to go and that he will make you relevant in his kingdom by trusting him. Over the next six weeks, we're going to go through a series called Unlikely Disciple. And it's the story of Peter, the apostle Peter, and his ministry, his life and ministry as a follower of Jesus Christ. Peter was truly an unlikely disciple. He was, yeah, passionate, but he's also impetuous, uh, didn't think ahead often, reactionary, rough, Uh, ill-tempered, but God chose him first, really, despite all those things, or maybe because of them, chose him first among his disciples and molded him into a leader in his church. Peter, when Jesus came to him and picked him, was relatively young. He was a young man in his mid-twenties, although likely a family man, had a, had a wife and children, and a, and a business he was a part of. He was a fisherman, had been a fisherman for, his family had been fishermen for generations. It's kind of in their blood. They knew how to do this job, and it's kind of their identity, who they are. It's how they make a living, right? Fishermen at that time were known to be not the slickest, not the most charismatic people in the world. They were workers, right? They had they were physically strong. They worked with their hands. They were literally weathered, literally, right? They probably also came home every day smelling like fish, which doesn't help your social status at all, I would imagine. <laughs> I know that when I was working in restaurants, I would come home smelling like smoke and grease and everything else under the sun. And for those of you who work in a factory, you know... You come home smelling like the factory and you need to get in the shower. So the idea of coming home smelling like something funky every day shouldn't be too foreign to most of us. But they were also, as fishermen, Peter was also likely uneducated, right? He'd been working since he was a kid. He likely had crude and blunt language. If you've ever heard the term, that guy talks like a sailor. (laughs) It comes from a place. It comes from... from The truth that sometimes language is not exactly perfect or pristine at times in some spheres of our world. And so Peter was that. He and likely James and John, who were also fishermen, who are also apostles, who are also among the first called. They were called the sons of thunder early on in Jesus' work with them in their ministry. That's probably because they said everything loudly and crudely, would be my guess. They didn't always have the right words. I mean, that kind of, dis- that kind of describes, I-, I think, most of us at times. We don't know what to say or what to do. Well, Peter would have fit that, 100% would have fit that description when Jesus basically grabbed him off a boat and said, I have a job for you to do. But I think most people, and maybe even Peter himself, if they were writing a draft order for disciples, Peter wouldn't have, would have been way down on the list, even 
if at all, on the list. Again, in the kingdom of God, he was among the first because there is no draft order. If we look at Peter's original call, we see in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20, it's, it says, as Jesus, as he, Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, right? Which is important for us to understand. His original name is Simon. It's Jesus who names him Peter. So Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother, Andrew, and they were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen because that's what fishermen do. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. When Jesus chooses to to rename Simon as Peter, the the word he chooses and the word that's in the scripture here is Petros. It's, It's the rock. It's in Greek. It's the rock. It means a small pebble that's found along a pathway. It is insignificant and undistinguished from anything else around it. It's usually a bunch of pebbles, and it's just one of many. John, the Apostle John, in his gospel, would later say, use the Aramaic word and say they called him Cephas. Jesus renamed him as Cephas, which also means a rock, any old rock. Nothing special, nothing amazing about it. I think that describes most of us when Jesus finds us, right? We are just a rock. We are just somebody living life trying to get things done, trying to make it through the world the best we knew how, making a living, caring for our families, arguing with our brother, being upset about the things of the world because that's human beings, that's how we are. But Peter recognizes something, and so do Andrew and James and John, all of these men. They recognize something. The coach has called them. And so they say, yes, they recognize something in Jesus that's different from the rest. If we stopped there, if we stopped at reading Matthew's account, we could discern that there were no doubts involved. There were no concerns, no doubts about their worthiness, no doubts about their ability, no no doubts about what they could or couldn't do in the kingdom of God. Could they be relevant disciples? Could they be the people God is calling them to be? They had their doubts. If we look at Luke chapter 5, which is where we're going to spend most of our time today, Luke chapter 5 verses 1 through 11, we see that maybe Peter and the other apostles are more like us than we like to think. It says in verse 1, as the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake, and the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. As we see this beginning of this story, there's a couple of things I want us to note. Jesus has been allowed by Peter, allowed access into Peter's life a little bit, right? He's, he's letting him use one of his boats to go out. So we know that he trusts Jesus at least a little bit right now. He's gotten to know him some. And so he's letting him use his boat and he's getting in a boat with him because he doesn't trust him enough to send him out without it, apparently. But <laughs> 
But he's in the boat with him. He's letting Jesus use his possessions. He's also allowed Jesus to access some of his free time. And we know it's free time because the boats are at the edge of the shore and the fishermen had left already. They've left for the day. They've taken up the nets to wash them and put them away. They're finishing up and ending the day and they're going home to their families. And so Peter has chosen to allow Jesus to use his time and to use his boat and, and giving him some access in something that would not honestly cost him a lot. It's not going to risk a lot for him. He's just saying, okay, this guy's got some things to say. I'm kind of interested to hear them. And so he's allowing Jesus enough access to his life and his possessions to continue in that. But that access is limited. That access is limited. He's still close to land. Like Jesus has asked him to put out a little, it says in verse 3. Put out a little from the land. If you think about that, get a visual for a minute. Peter and it can still see the shoreline. Right? He can still, they're close enough that Jesus' voice is carrying to the crowd of people that are listening to him, right? So he's not way out in the middle. He's close. He can still see the land. He can still see his home base and his family and his friends and the, the other fishermen and the rest of his possessions that they're busy cleaning up and putting away. He can still keep tabs on those that are working with him and for him. And so, he can also, if something goes crazy here, right, he can also, if a storm comes up, he can swim to shore. He might even be able to just jump out of the boat and walk to shore. So he's taken some risk here, but not a ton. It's still pretty much in his comfort zone. He's comfortable with what Jesus is asking him to do because it doesn't cost him a lot and it's low risk. But that is until we get to verse 4, which we're about to read. And I want you to listen for Peter's reactions here because they are both good and bad. Watch this. It says in verse 4, When he had finished speaking, that's Jesus, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, We've worked hard all night long and we've caught nothing. But if you say so, if you say so, I'll let down the nets. I'll let down the nets. I don't want to underplay this here. Jesus is asking Peter to go away from the safety of being close to shore, go away from being able to see all of his, his men and everything that's going on around him, and to go out into deep water. Not the shallow stuff, not the place where you could get back to shore easily, but the place where you have to trust that there's something more going on here. Now, don't get me wrong. Peter's not afraid to go out in the water. He's a fisherman, right? But he, Jesus is asking him to leave behind some of his security. He's also asking him for access to his identity as a fisherman, Peter says, hold up, Jesus, right? He says, wait up. We've been fishing out here all night long. In fact, you could probably extrapolate this to say, look, man, I've been fishing this lake for my entire life, and so was my father, and so was my father before him. I know how this all works. And I'm telling you, we did it all night, 
and nothing happened, this is not going to work. He's made the decision already. This is likely not to work. And he pushes back because Jesus is asking for access to change his identity as a fisherman because now he's got to question what he thinks he already knows. He thinks he already knows. And in fact, Jesus is saying, let me show you, you don't know as much as you think you do. You don't really understand how the world is working and what's going on. I think that we sometimes do the same thing with Jesus in our world. We say, hold up, Jesus. This is my world. I've been there. I've done that. I know how it works. This is my career. This is my family. This is my life. I know how it functions. These are how my relationships function. I know that there's a person in my life that they're never going to listen to me, never going to listen to me about you. They're never going to change. And so I've stopped even trying. I've stopped trying to tell them about you and I've stopped trying to make a difference. I know how this works. It's, it's, I know what my priorities are and what they should be. I know what I need to do with my time and my energy and my money. And I'll let you know, Jesus, when I need help. It's, it's, I already know how this all works. I know how this is all going to turn out. And so we say, why even bother? Why change it? Why alter it? But Jesus is calling Peter here to remember something that we see in Proverbs, to do something we see in Proverbs that is not natural for us and that we don't like to do. It's Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust, that's trust with everything you are. And rely not on your own understanding. Rely not on your own understanding. And in all your ways, know him and he will make your paths straight. Do not rely on my own understanding. Do not rely on what I know, what I think I know about relationships, what I think I know about my priorities, what I think I know about the source of my of joys in life, what I think I know about how the world works. Jesus is asking Peter to rethink the way he sees the world entirely. And it's the challenge of every one of us as disciples to choose to lean on Jesus's understanding rather than our own. Jesus can sometimes, as he's doing with Peter here, when the others are ending their workday and coming in for the night because they've decided already the best time to fish is in the evening. So they're coming in and putting away their nets. They're done with the day and they're moving on to the next thing. Jesus is instead saying, go out. You want to come in? You think it's time? You think it's done? I'm telling you it's not. Go out and do the opposite of what you think you should do because you're trusting my understanding instead of your own. He says, you may think you're done, but I'm really just getting started. You may think you're done telling somebody about Jesus because they're just not listening, but you know, you don't know what's going on in their life outside of the moments they spend with you. You don't know who else is whispering into their ears about the love of Christ and the salvation that comes 
from Christ. You think you know about what you need to do with your time and your energy and your priorities, but maybe you don't. The the truth is, God is repeatedly giving all of us opportunities to be relevant in his kingdom. Our job is to take them. Our job is to not decide already before he even asks that something's not going to work. Our job is to create and allow for margin for him to work rather than assuming that we've got all of our ducks in a row and our world figured out. Can I just tell you, we are pursuing an infinite God, right? We have such a long way to go (laughs) to come to a full understanding of him. I I, I will blunt you tell, tell you, I don't think that happens in our lifetime. I don't think we ever get to the place where we've just got him him all figured out because his greatness and his love and his mercy and his faithfulness are so far beyond what our little brains can handle. And he sees so much of what's going on in the world that we don't even begin to notice, let alone process and assimilate, right? There is always an opportunity to rework our understanding of the world in light of where God is taking us. We don't always know as much as we think we do. And God is calling us to understand that it is his knowledge that will guide us. And we are to lean on him in all of our ways, as Proverbs says, all of our ways, not a few, not some, not where it's safe or doesn't cause me a lot of risk, but in everything. And that's a lifelong pursuit because you and I, we're stubborn. We, <laughs> we think we know everything. <laughs> but Peter finds out something really quick here that we need to see as well, that when he's willing to obey, when he's willing to do what God asks him to do, not only are his wildest dreams fulfilled, but he's taken somewhere he never expected to go that is so much greater than the outcome he had already decided was the end, the end of his relevance in the world and in the kingdom of God. Listen to this. It says in verse six, verses six through 11 of Luke five, it says, when they did this, so when they threw the nets out as Jesus asked them to do, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. That means they were so packed they didn't know what to do with it, right? Their nets couldn't handle it. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help. And they came and they filled both boats so full that the boats began to sink. Now, wait a minute. Didn't Peter just say, we've already tried this. It's not going to work. It's time to come in. Jesus says, go out. And something is completely changed. And then Peter, recognizing the error of his way, says in verse 8, When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees. And he said, Go away from me, because I am a sinful man, Lord. I am not worthy of what I am witnessing here right now. This is way beyond my understanding. This is way beyond my pay grade. There are some things going on here that are scaring the daylights out of me. And And then in verse 9, he says, For he and all those who were with him 
were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, Jebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. There's those other fishermen we were talking about. And Jesus says something here. He says, don't be afraid. Jesus told Simon, from now on, you will be catching people. And then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. Don't be afraid. Fear. Fear of failure. Fear of things being different. Or fear of the unknown, which, by the way, as I was telling somebody the other day, I really think is the greatest fear we have in our world. Fear of the unknown. If I don't know how things are going to turn out, if I don't know how they're going to affect me and those I love, if I don't know what the results are going to be from my actions, the unknown leads us to not do anything. It paralyzes us because we would love to be able to see the outcome and make our decisions accordingly. There's a whole lot more going on in this world than we would ever care to admit or want to know. The unknown is a part of life. Jesus is the only known. He's the only one who knows everything. But this is a normal reaction. That's why Jesus says, don't be afraid because they are understandably afraid. Afraid of what they're seeing, afraid of what it means, and afraid of where it might call them. Because Jesus calls them to leave everything behind and follow him. Everything. Leave the safety of home base, the safety of being close to the shore. Leave behind your understanding of how you think the world works and follow him. This is still scary. Peter's thinking to himself, what have I gotten myself into, right? I, I am not worthy. I am not able. And I don't know what to do with all this, right? I've got so many fish. My boats are sinking. I don't even know what to do with all of this. And by the way, when Jesus says to him, how confusing is this? When Jesus says to Simon, from now on, you will be catching people. What is that? Right? This guy's been literally catching fish his whole life. And this is not, I promise you, anything that was on Peter's list that day when he said, when I go out with Jesus, this might happen. You're going to go catch people. Completely different result than he ever thought was humanly possible or divinely possible. I promise you that wasn't on his radar. Catching people. I've never done it. Don't even know what it is, maybe, he's thinking. But Peter is demonstrating for all of us who are unlikely disciples something extremely important here. We don't have to know how it's going to work. We don't have to know what the end result is going to be because you know who does? Jesus. Jesus knows the end result. We just have to be willing to answer the call. And Jesus will work out the rest. I want to encourage you today to remember that if Jesus has called you to something, if he has called you to join his family, he's about to send you on a ride that you could have never predicted. If Jesus is calling you to engage someone in his name, to tell them about your savior, 
it's not my place or your place to say, don't do that. In fact, if Jesus has said to do it, do it. It may not work out the way you think it will. And you know what? That's fine. Because when we answer the call, it will work out the way Jesus wants it to. That is what it means to be his disciple. As unlikely as you may think you are to be that person, Jesus knows you can be. Jesus desires you to be. And the world needs us to be. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and he be gracious to you. May he grant you favor and may he give you peace. God bless.